Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This is a show about why people do the things they do. Now, it isn't quite obvious to anybody why they do the things that they do. Uh, It's not obvious to me. It's not obvious to you. We can come up with rationalizations about why we do the things we do. Um, But it's not at all obvious what the answer to that question is. But I do believe that through conversation... Uh, usually one-on-one conversation, we can come to a mutual realization of a higher truth rather than the truth that our mind tells us is the truth. So this show is about this dialogue, a very, very ancient practice. It's been going on for a very, very long time of coming together with another agent, another person who has this awareness and coming to the truth through mutual inquiry. Inquiry. There's a lot of different themes that I talk about in this show, but the show doesn't have a theme. There is no specific thing that we're getting to with this show. Uh, We're discovering the truth in process, and you as a listener can also play in this discovery, in this mutual discovery, uh, because I don't think it's only in this one-on-one conversation we have, but it's also a global collective conversation, as long as we have this intention to aim towards the truth. So if you do want to join this conversation, I'm on Twitter, at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I, and you can just tweet out to me questions, you can tweet out to me things you don't like, things you do like about this episode, you can also send me DMs, my DMs are open. Uh, and just join the conversation. I'm constantly asking questions on Twitter, so you can answer any of those questions as well. Uh, And if you do like this show, please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other major podcasting platforms, uh, and go ahead and subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, go ahead and leave a review as well. So come join us on this discovery for truth. uh, And it's fun. We we can get to the the really juicy parts of life uh, as long as we don't have an agenda uh, and well, except for the agenda to find the truth. Uh, so welcome on this discovery of truth and come join the process. Welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast. My guest today is Dr. Sam Hinks. He is working on developing color interfaces for thought and sensation. Uh, and so what drives you to create these color interfaces? Why color? Because color is there. You just need to open your eyes and you have a reminder for all these colors and many existing interfaces and pen and paper already affords simply shading thoughts with color. This is reminding me of synthesia. Uh, It's like when random different Actually, do you, you might have a better definition of synth. It's, it's called synthesia, right? Uh, synesthesia. Synesthesia, yeah. yeah. And what is that? Yes. <laughs> so synesthesia is a condition where there's an overlap between senses. And so you can see sounds. Uh, I think that's the most common one is, is an overlap between sound and visuals. And so people who have synesthesia, what particular sound is played for them, like dong, if their eyes are closed in particular, I think perhaps some people see them even when their eyes are open, but mild synesthetes will, will register the dong and see a a blue, uh, unfolds and I actually developed a lot of this color interface with a synesthete but it's it's not designed for synesthetes Mm. it's it's designed for something to for a regular brain to move it more in a synesthetic direction and are you talking about you're designing something so that somebody can sit down to a computer attach their attach nodes to their head and essentially create colors from thought? I'd say this is in, in my partitioning of things that I could do with this. This is a, a Brown thing that I could do with it. And currently I'm in my turquoise network where I analyze all these possibilities and assign colors to them. 
and uh, if I want more brown energy, then I'll I'll think about this application that you post, measuring mental states using physiological sensors. And that's where where I have my history. This is the problem that I've been working on for ten years, and I got my PhD in using a device called functional near-infrared spectroscopy. It's a light-based, non-invasive neuroimaging technique that measures a similar uh, bold effect as the fMRI. But it's non-invasive, and you can imagine that it could one day be integrated with portable sensors. So I've been working on measuring mental states using the FNIRS device for a long time, and just finished my dissertation. And I notice that the there basically is not a an academic field uh, currently working on the on the problem that I'm interested in in working on. Uh, and if there is, then I want to know about it. I I, I haven't found I, I don't know how to plug this into to existing research areas effectively. Mm. And and so currently, I'm just operating as an independent. I've been, you're, you're, you're catching me right now in, in a state in which, frankly, it's hard to communicate about this stuff because I've, I've gone through such a period of creativity in the last uh, two months. And it's just been new idea after new idea after new idea. So, yeah, I, I, as I say, I'm in this meta phase, this turquoise network currently. In which I'm evaluating different possibilities and, and ways to move forward with this most efficiently. And why do you call it a turquoise network? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> why do you call it that? What about turquoise has has a what about the color turquoise is connected to creativity or being meta? Uh, so the turquoise is, uh, it's the most recent color I had that, that I was given to, I was given the color turquoise by another individual who had installed this, uh, color software. And so it became the meta color because with this color, I could look at all the other colors, but there's, uh, a visual anchoring to it that that I like as well. I picture a statue, uh, a kind of turquoise rusty statue, and and it gives me this feeling. And perhaps there are other turquoise objects like this. It gives me a very ancient feeling, and what I see as kind of the 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 root of of wisdom is the stuff that is permanent throughout the ages and in the universe. And it's, it's from this color that, that one can see what is permanent more clearly. And so are you visualizing this or is something, are you using a machine? I don't understand how this is showing up in your life. Uh, how, how these, relationships are manifesting in my mind. I I guess I do three things to make that connection richer. Uh, one is uh, in writing, and this is both in handwriting and in journaling I do on the computer. I shade a thought that is coming from a particular part of my mind uh, as that color. So if I have a brown thought, I shade it in brown. Similarly, in my notes, I just take out my color pencils and I highlight it in brown. And I um, also do this in conversation. If, I, if I'm developing a, a connection with another person, a, a way to give them an interest simply by telling them, here's how I see red, here's how I see orange, here's how I see light blue. And once the, that is sort of installed or agreed upon in communication, you have a higher bandwidth of communication between the two people. 
So that reinforces it. And then the other person, you know, keeps saying like, oh, <laughs> like last week, <laughs> there was a lot of purple. <laughs> and, and I know exactly what that means. Uh, and we both know what that means. So, so that leads to a, a richer relationship to the colors. And then this is actually how it all got started for me, uh, which is I give an art show a sort of spiritual ceremony we call the sensorium where when people come in we give them a choice of what kind of direction of mental states they want to go in and then we will we'll just take out the colors and say yeah what what color experience do you want and i will um, give them what's called a music massage, which is something we can talk about and also an area of my focus currently and, and connected to this work. Uh, but the, an, another way in which this relationship was formed in my mind is taking all the music that I have made and all the music that I like on Spotify that I think is good for this context and organize it into these different colors. So, now I have a linking basically between what I see in the world, what I hear. If I, if I hear a song, I'll be able to say, okay, this one's a mixture of purple and light blue, for example, uh, and what I think. This is so interesting for me because I um, grew up probably from, I think I inhibited my ability to visualize uh, inside my mind. So I inhibited my ability to visualize uh, around the time period of when I was like eight or nine years old. Um, and then I lost the capacity to visualize and I thought primarily in were in thoughts and words. Um, okay. So my thoughts didn't have a, a visual uh, corollary to them until I started to train myself again um, uh, to, to visualize and imagine. And that happened maybe five or six years ago. And that was quite trippy once I started to do that. Um, Cause now I can, I can have imagination and visualizations uh, and I can think very clearly in words and easily. Um, but this is adding a new layer to it, which is uh, which is interesting, which is that assigning a thought, a color. And I've been thinking about how today I've been in a lot of like rumination and just kind of difficult, uh, difficult, thought structures and uh it feels like black <laughs> would be the color or red okay yeah yeah okay black and red i make it a lot of red and black music mm. <laughs> the uh yeah i think for me also i started off doing a meditation before i had developed this color interface for myself uh just labeling different parts of my psyche saying, okay, this is this part talking, this is this part talking. And just label on it is, uh, is a good way to get started uh, in, in addressing the, you know, this, the subconscious is complaining about something. That's why it's generating the thought. And, and insofar as one can organize these voices that come to you, and label them when when exerts a kind of control over the subconscious and can potentially move in 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 directions of better experience in the future mm. interesting as you were saying that i started to get this impression that i'm somehow a large part of me wants to live a life without these kind of depressive ruminating thoughts and painful experiences. But then uh, another part of me was like, maybe there's safety in them uh, and so that I don't actually, uh, there's perceived safety in them so that it's like in, and it, a lot of it is what it's, that's what I know. Um, and stepping outside of them would be uncertain. So it's interesting. It brings up a little bit of like a, uh, fear or not really fear. It's like, I don't want to do that because this is what I know. But. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking as you speak, there's another, another tool that is very similar here. And, and uh, it's, 
perhaps more mainstream and, and perhaps more advocated by someone like Jordan Peterson uh, is these relationships with the subconscious. One, one can look at the world of, of myth and religion and just fiction, Disney movies, anything. And, and one can start to analyze who, who is, who is the, the best mythical archetype for the current voice that is coming out. And then one can start saying, okay, well, given that this voice is coming out in my mind, then this mythical archetype is, is part of my character and getting most of the energy in the brain entails letting its voice be heard. So basically saying, okay, well, this is part of the council that is my mind. And I guess if, if, if the thing that is telling to you, you to do is, is a bad thing, potentially one, one should seek a, a, a narrative where one can silence that voice. But if, it's, if, if that thing it's telling you to do, the reason you're not doing it is, is about fear or whatever it is, then yeah, I guess it's best to just bring out most of its energy and, and conquer that fear and then it becomes more of a manifest part of, of one's mind. Hmm. Interesting. And I've been working a lot with this, this coach is to, is to, instead of running away from the, or repressing the experience, you ask for more of it and you ask and you become the witness of it. You observe it uh, and then notice as it, as it runs out. And sometimes they don't run out because they go, the, the archetypes are really deep. Um, but yeah. Yeah, how would you, if, if you don't mind me asking, uh, potentially these are personal questions. Do you mind me asking these kind of personal questions? Absolutely. Here? This is a huge part of the thing I do here. So. Okay, great. Okay, so so what then, th- those, do you mind sharing what those black thoughts were? Mm. Yeah, it's like giving up. It, 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 I've, I, I need to make money are making money and um, I'm doing a lot of activities and none of those activities are leading to making money. And so today it's like, there's been this, this, this real struggle of like, of publishing the podcasts and then doing the things I need to do in order to make money. Um, But then I've been in a lot of, I've been in a lot of pain this weekend because I had a, I had a a dental operation on Thursday, which uh, I thought, was going to be a different operation. And I thought this particular process was over. It turned out it's not over. Uh, and that my, my body has had to adapt and I've, I've <clears throat> spent a lot of time this weekend. I was able to do things that I needed to do in order to kind of like get to the bottom of, of, of what's going on. It was very difficult, very painful. And, um, and it's, uh, and today it's like not nearly as painful as it has been this, this weekend, but I'm still just in the state of like, I don't, I don't know if I can handle what life is requiring of me. Gotcha. No. Oh man. Well, I guess just letting your mind infer that you're, you're making progress on these things mm-hmm. that pain is subsiding. You're, you're just taking the simple steps that it takes to move forward. It's just, being with that energy that is inferring the positive progress it's, it seems like a decent energy mm-hmm. things will get better i imagine mm-hmm. and that's the that's the that's the challenge is that i've said that for a long time things are going to get better um and then they they have gotten better and i guess that's a that 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 is an important part about what you just said is that uh they have gotten better and then the, but there's then there's that voice that says no they haven't it's it's not going to get better like uh <laughs> the 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 and i'd say that voice is like maybe 30 percent right now 70 percent. it's like yeah things are definitely better you know and, and compared to how how much pain i was in years ago it's just like i'm able to function i'm able to go on walks i'm able to do all this stuff uh but yeah it's there's still that that tiny voice that says like nope it's not yeah yeah i, I know exactly the voice you mean and uh i i i've kept an elaborate journal in the past like six or seven years. And I know when, when in my life I was the most depressed uh, 
and I really think that, that I have crawled out of it and the dedication to a mission as I see it and, mm -hmm. and basically being unapologetic. I knew the things that, that were making me unhappy and it's basically interfacing with a system that is telling me what to do and mm. just being sort of a little bit merciless and, and really focusing on trying to establish independence and a world in which I actually get to do what I want to do all the time. That's what I go for. And it's still hard though. I mean, I'm in a similar place with you. I currently don't have an income and I have a situation where I get to do what I want all the time and mm. a, a longer time period and before my, uh, before finances become a concern. But yeah, I need to, it's important to continue to observe myself making progress towards moving to that state of, mm -hmm. of independence and being able to work on what my muse is for me. Yeah, and that's the difficulty because I've, I've been doing that and I was hoping that that would lead to a financial payoff or a financial kind of some sort of stability in terms of finances, uh, but that is, that, that, is not, that is not the case. And so that's thrown me, or it has, it has not been the case recently. So, and I've, I've been watching a lot of Jordan Peterson uh, Maps of Meanings uh, lectures on YouTube. And um, essentially what I'm realizing is that in order to make money, I have to turn chaos into structure and then sell that structure or order and then sell that order to other people and essentially bring some, you know, because I, I spend a lot of time in chaos and I've, I'm quite comfortable more comfortable than most people in uncertainty and in chaos. Um, mm -hmm. But then it, it, so, but now I've been spending all that time in chaos and, and now I need to actually pull something out of it and, and create something and then, and then sell it to somebody because it is valuable, the things that I've discovered there. Um, but, and that seems to require not doing what I want to do and taking all of these episodes and taking all of the things that I've learned and driving some sort of, or deriving some sort of uh, order out of it, out of it, and then and then and then providing and exchanging that uh, that value that I've created with and receiving value from other people in the form of finances. <laughs> you know, you and I are in such similar situations. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, I here I am too. I have all this audio, tons, tons of recordings. They're not podcast episodes. They're something else, probably closer to the category of guided meditation. Uh -huh. And uh, all this writing, all these ideas, all this just software, just tons of stuff. Because when I do what I do naturally, I just sit here and Brilliant. just idea after idea after idea, pure chaos, you know. Uh, and <laughs> I... Uh, I noticed that the the algorithms that I'm generating right now, the they are ordering algorithms. Hmm. They're they're ways in which hmm. I could convert chaos into some order. So so my chaos right now is in in that space of generating useful ideas for moving forward. But it's still a state of chaos because hmm. there are so many ways <laughs> yeah. to do that and. Uh, and to to abort the mind, to stop it from just this continuous mm. idea generates. To some extent, that's that's the challenge. My my current plan is to uh, try to establish remote and independent income streams through programming, mm. and let it be separate from the production of audio and writing and so on and mm -hmm. just let this be something else treated as something else not not as a way to make money but as as a way to express myself yeah. and that that probably needs to be a similar thing for me and then trying to find that piece of of uh, of how i can provide money in exchange for something that's not necessarily my passion is an interesting thing for me and so 
yeah, maybe I can just treat that right now as this an inquiry into that essentially because it's, um, you know, I can get a job at a coffee shop or something like that, but I don't have any, I don't have a skill. Well, I do have skills in terms of I can do coaching and I can do, um, uh, uh, but then that, that brings up the sense of confidence in me in, in terms of providing that for people. And I've got massage as well. I can do massage as well. Um, but these are, this is all very difficult to, to essentially, uh, market myself in that way as well. That's the main challenge I'm facing. Yeah. It's, it's, we, I wonder what our shared archetype is because what do you what do you see as your your role is let's yeah. imagine you're in a a, a tribe 2000 years ago what is or let's imagine it at potentially at different time scales 5000 years ago 2000 years ago 1000 years ago 500 years ago 100 years ago mm-hmm. what is the role that you're filling in in the group at these time points your your archetype so it seems in the last hundred years, it would be uh, a leader into the chaos. In the five hundred years, five hundred year kind of thing, it was more of a. Um, I think it's a, a a royalty, so somebody who didn't have to work, um, but was basically just dedicated to perfection and was an ideal uh, in creation or learning or art art artistic sense or something like that. Just this. This this create the thing that we've just been talking about both of us are in is this just kind of creative, like let the mind go, and it seems like that's connected to some sort of royalty. Um, mm-hmm. And then going back to a thousand years, shaman, I guess, um, and then similar would be five thousand years ago shaman kind of thing. How about you? <laughs> Basically the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, the what I see myself at, like a, a big urge in me is is being the one who uh, is that like definitely I don't have an urge to be a leader, but I have a I have an urge to find the leader, you know, mm. and and so I'm someone King likes a lot. I think the the King wants you know wants me to be producing ideas, art, music, whatever. Mm-hmm. chaos that that uh, uh, you know uh, with withholds the king's power uh, and shaman definitely feel a lot of the shaman archetype mm-hmm. there's there's a particular archetype that I imagine and I don't know very much about this mythical creature but I've just come to imagine what it is like and I've come to tap that voice at times and try to feel like what it is to interface with the world and myself through the perspective of this archetype. And that's a sphinx, mm. you know, the, uh, the Egyptian riddle maker, this mm. someone who's, who's, who's close to the royalty and serving a, a very mystic function. Like one thing I love to do is to pretend that, I am just an instance of some abstract archetype that is trying to make so that people pay more attention to conscious energy. Mm. And this is, you know, in, in, if, if my input space had been religions, then I would have been a sort of priest or, you know, shaman, uh, but I guess my input space is cognitive science and neuroscience and computer science. And so I just frame it in this way. But I think in, in, in each case, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, through cryptic, artistic, uh, whatever methods possible, put information into the world that leads to people's... Uh, maybe spiritual ecstasy, you might say, or mm. awe of the energy or just connection to the energy and connection to the fact that the universe is alive. Mm. Yeah, as you were saying that, uh, particularly when you talked about the leader thing, and it's funny because maybe I've just, I've created an image of myself as a leader, but maybe that's not it. And it's 
Uh, do you know the the monkey god Hanuman? No, I'll look Hanuman. Who is that? Hanuman, uh, Hanuman is uh, he's one of the central characters of the Indian epic Ramayana, um, and he's like this helper. So he he helps. Uh, I can't remember the exact story, but he's somehow this kind of like I think it's Arjuna uh, or wh- whoever is like the main king in the Ramayana. Hanuman helps him um, and is like. So he's the supreme destroyer of evil and the protector of devotees. Um, it, but he's some sort of like, yeah, he's, I, I can't remember exactly. Um, let me see if I can get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't... Um, I can't find it, but yeah, he's, yeah. And so this has been a couple of years ago, like it kept on showing up, like Hanuman just kept on showing up in my life. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting just maybe, maybe that, maybe I do need to find a role of essentially helping royalty or helping a King or helping somebody with power and being this kind of creative aspect of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think actually this, this was an, an insight. Well, it's, 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 it's an insight that I might have had quite recently. I think I've always known this and, and what is comfortable about not being a leader, but it's, I, I would say it's, it's recent for me to articulate it this way that I definitely am not going for leadership and I'm going for promoting another person's leadership. And I think being, being clear about this in the mind potentially is, is very helpful for, for people like you and me and being clear in communication with that because potentially that's a, an, an unspoken thing between individuals as they collaborate that both of them are potentially going for a more powerful position. But if one knows that one's not going for power and, but still wants this power of the group or the collaboration, uh, being clear about which, what each, each role is, is, is useful. Mm. I... Um, I am very connected to the octopus mm. as a, a metaphor. And what I do in groups is I use metaphors to create more group energy and, and synergy between people. And the octopus metaphor I find is very useful. There are just a few facts about the octopus that one can state that kind of anchor for how one should be thinking about oneself as an individual and oneself as a part of a group. And the, the key fact is that the octopus has eight brains, a brain for each one of the tentacles and then a, a central uh, system that is binding them. Uh, I, I haven't seen this, but I've heard that if you, you, if if an octopus loses one of its tentacles, then that tentacle continues to exist. And so one can imagine that this octopus is is experiencing consciousness both at an individual and a group level, and one should try when one is in a group to create a consciousness through one's language and one's actions uh, where there is this kind of potential consciousness that is emerging as a synergy between all, all the individuals in the group or, or what you can call a tentacle if you're playing with this metaphor. That's interesting. And uh, have you read the book, the other minds? No. Uh, so it's all about the development of the nervous system within an octopus. And the guy who writes it, he's a philosopher, but he also studies octopi. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, the most common ancestor that we have with an octopus is like a slug. Um, yet yeah. both of these trains of evolutionary development, they, they both developed highly, uh, highly intricate nervous systems. Uh, but in ours, a vertebrate nervous system so that we have, you know, vertebrae and, and a spine and everything like that. And then in these octopi, 
uh, totally like decentralized, as you were saying, mind in each of the arms, um, and then all connected through the central nervous system. And they also developed eyes as well. Um, and so I think it's, I highly recommend checking out the book, Other Minds. Um, it's, it's, I said no as almost instinctively, but then I realized that the book, like literally right next to my bed. <laughs> <laughs> the book is right next to your bed. Yeah, I'm currently reading the book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten so into it. Uh, uh, it's like 30, 30 pages in or so. It's, it's, I'm in a phase where it's hard for me to, to get uh, input just because there's so much damn output coming out of me right now. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've gone back into an input space where I'm where I'm getting a whole bunch of input in terms of and it's all in YouTube videos as opposed to uh, books, uh, which is interesting because most of the time, you, primarily most of the stuff I've gotten is from reading, and now I'm going into videos, which is really interesting because it goes back to that kind of visual color thing. And I guess we could start talking about that too, because um, the real real reason I wanted to talk to you was because uh, uh, you talked. I asked this question in the group that we're in. And you, you said that you're, you were trying to measure emotions and it's impossible to measure emotions. Is that correct? Uh, let's see. So the, I was never really trying to measure emotions. There was a colleague who was trying to measure emotions more, emotions in music. And she didn't have much success doing this. She was just trying to distinguish between different types of music, essentially having people uh, listen to some song or another song and seeing, you know, what is the, what is the difference uh, in, in, if you're, so you're measuring brain activity using this device, functional neuroinfrared spectroscopy, and you're applying filtering techniques to it. You're extracting features. You're putting it into a machine learning algorithm that is trained on these time series of, uh, of the brain data and and so you may maybe have like 10 instances when a person is listening to a sad song and 10 instances when they're listening to a happy song and then you you train a machine learning algorithm to distinguish those feature sets and mm. this was many years ago and i think i analyzed that data set using my algorithms and i didn't find anything um there really what, what is uh the, here's here's what is better to measure though and this was the topic of my dissertation is, is I, I noticed that that part of the problem we had as engineers trying to build brain computer interfaces was a bad vocabulary for describing mental states and so I put a lot of energy into my dissertation trying to develop upon that vocabulary. And the vocabulary needs to have a set of dimensions which are true at every level of analysis. Hmm. Uh, or ideally, it would, it would work at every level of analysis. And so what that means is this makes sense given the physical properties of the brain. This makes sense if one analyzes it from the point of view of psychology or questionnaires that people have asked about the brain. It makes sense at a level of, of cognitive functions or information processing. And it makes sense at a level of introspection when one is feeling some state one should be able to describe the brain in, according to these dimensions and so the these are connected to emotions uh, the these uh my current uh what you might say tax taxonomy of of mental states has these two components the colors which we described earlier and then these information processing dimensions. And I guess I'm, what I'm telling you is colors are 
may be harder to detect. And these information processing dimensions, though, that I'm about to say, they're easier. Mm. So there are three dimensions here. The first is directionality. And this is describing whether the flow of information proceeds from the top down or from the bottom up. So in this conversation, currently, I'm in a top-down state. I'm describing information to you. I'm, I'm sort of responsible for the flow of information. And potentially, you are in a bottom-up state where you're receiving information. And uh, so that's one dimension, directionality. The other is origin. And origin describes, in a given mental state, what is the origin of data. Uh, and this can be either endogenous, meaning it's coming from within the brain and body, or exogenous, meaning it's coming from the outside world. And uh, um, as I speak to you, uh, the I'm in an endogenous state because the origin of my thoughts is whatever memories I have. And you could potentially, you could be in a blurred state though. You could be in a, a, a sort of a half default mode network or a half endogenous state where you're, you have these thoughts that are coming into your mind and and, and a half exogenous state where you just, you know, are processing the auditory signals that you receive. So that's the second dimension, origin. And the third dimension is entropy. So entropy is how random the configuration of mental states that you experience are over time. So as you you listen to this message you could be you know hopping between being lost in your head for a second coming back into the world and have a lot of sort of time variation between these mental states or you could have this sustained uh, state uh, over time where uh, it's it's basically the same thing over and over again the energy feels roughly the same and that's a lower or a more rigid entropy state. Interesting. All right. So you've got these three information processing dimensions. Are, they, are there only three? Or? Actually, in my dissertation, I have, I think, uh, 13 total. Okay. But those other ones, they are not as easy to describe and they're because these these dimensions they're 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 meant to be a they're meant to be a replacement of a machine learning algorithm mm. for uh classifying mental states there are all kinds of shortcomings with using machine learning algorithms for example you depend on the fact that you can induce a mental state in a person so say in that example when we were talking about happy and sad music uh, you depend on the fact that when you play a sad song the other person's going to experience a sad state but there's no guarantee there mm. and and so this is a major shortcoming with the machine learning approach what i call the ag agnostic paradigm for brain computer interface and the purpose of my dissertation was moved towards a an algorithm that wasn't as dependent on machine learning. And in, in fact, it doesn't depend on, on machine learning for as, as much as possible. And, and then once in cards for other parts of the algorithm, if you, uh, if you don't use it right away. And, and so these dimensions, they're the algorithm that I have in my dissertation. There's a direct link between those those dimensions 
and properties of the signal in FNIRS. And these are just hypotheses. It's like, how do you actually do this? This is, <laughs> this is very hard to do. But, but what I've just been doing is, uh, uh, I guess, reading a lot of neuroscience, analyzing a lot of other people's data. But primarily what I've been doing is just moving between different mental states in my head and with close friends and and observing what this what the signal is doing and mm -hmm. developing hypothesis for how to measure it from there. And I think this is the way to move forward with brain computer interfaces. This is, mm -hmm. this is maybe a tangent now, but uh, I, I, I think empirical methods are not for the problems that I, I want to solve. And this is frankly one of my problems with staying in academia currently is this uh, uh, worshipping of the empirical method or this is if you want to get publications you, you have to be very empirical but it's not the best approach if you just want to develop the technology as i see it's probably a fair point uh, mm. so it's really interesting so i, I want to go back to the entropy thing eventually but what you just mm -hmm. said about mental states got me thinking about the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system response and how uh, due to trauma, a lot of us are kind of in this sympathetic nervous system engagement a lot of the time and then through a lot of these practices. So it seems binary to me in terms of, and it's not binary, I know it, but, but you know, right now it feels like I'm, except for the part of me that's talking and uh, engaging with the outside world, it seems like I'm in a pretty parasympathetic nervous system response, meaning that I'm pretty relaxed uh, and stuff like that. And I wonder, but you're talking about more, um, you're talking about much more specific mental states, right? Like qualia, essentially, the subjective nature of consciousness and stuff like that. Oh, there's, there's overlap here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so a, a relaxed mental state, the, just in terms of the dimensions that I would, the, the most relaxed color for me is, is light blue. So that's what it is in my color space. And as for entropy, it's got to be a, a pretty entropy state. Uh, and... Yeah, directionality and origin, I guess, could go Yeah, so, so I, a relaxed state is, can be understood in terms of these dimensions that I have here. For me, the most relaxing color is the light blue color. And in, in these three dimensions, I imagine that it's a, it's a pretty low entropy state. And directionality could be the direction, and origin could be either direction. Hmm. And uh, interesting. This is such a novel concept for me about this: the colors um, being. And it, so, you, oh, I get it. So now, that's what you're trying to do: is you're 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 trying to symbolize thought and these information processing dimensions into this color scheme um, and associate them with it. And that makes it easier to work with in a computer as well. Uh, it depends on I, I would say what the color really does is it's a, a user interface mm. for another individual. So within the computer, it doesn't really matter uh, if it's a color because when it comes down to it, it's just going to be some uh, variable with maybe if you have 10 colors, then it has 10 possible settings. And so within the computer, when it's doing a type of machine learning, I don't think it makes a big difference. Mm. color is just again i think the most useful the, the biggest reason to use color is that it's for sure shared between individuals mm. and cross culture 
doesn't really depend on language all that much. So if I want to talk to someone else in a, who has a different language, I just say, here's, you know, here's the color. And also that it's the colors are always available to you. The, you just need to open your eyes and, and I can remind myself just right now, I'm looking at a tree and leaves and a light blue sky. And these are three dimensions right there that I can think about. Mm. And, and I know that they're there. I know that they're mental states that I can go to with protocols. Uh, and it's just a reminder. Mm-hmm. All right. That's all really interesting. Um, it's kind of trippy as well. Cause I know that a lot of, in a lot of the contemplative traditions, they always talk about colors and like particularly the color blue. Um, and it's like, when you look at the color blue, your consciousness becomes colored essentially by the color blue. It's blue consciousness. Um, and this mm-hmm. also reminds me of my conversation with um, Andres uh, Emilson of the Qualia Research Institute, uh, where they talk about uh, qualia, qualia being a instance of subjective understanding. So, you know, when I look at this green soda can on my on my desk, my consciousness is flavored. I have a qualia of green so, uh, soda can and then i move to you know a fly fishing pole and then my consciousness becomes a fly fishing pole consciousness okay this is interesting so so wait qualia research they say they define it as an instance of subjective experience i'm not sure if that's the definition that's, that makes sense it's just what i would say is a mental state i guess uh-huh. that's i guess just different terms qualia is a very philosophical world mental state maybe is it's more what you say in uh, brain computer interface research. Yeah. And so right now, but um, so how would you describe the difference between each of those individual kind of mental states and then the, the mental state itself and the whole field of awareness as an object of mental state? How would I d- describe each, each mental state? Well, Did, no, so... So we've got we've got we've we've got each of these mental states that we're talking about, um, but then I've noticed an interesting thing as well is that if I analyze my own experience and I look at my own experience, I also can place my awareness on the whole field of awareness itself. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, actually, this is what I do when I like to blue something. This is this is my way of relaxing what you just described mm. and uh I, I i picture it almost like i'm i'm on earth and and my my natural anchoring for light blue is the sky so so i i'm absorbed i'm in some cognitive leaf wherever i am with thought and just the impulses and knowing that the sky is above me i can go to that energy and so that's that's how i experience that that just awareness of the energy itself. That's, that's the light, the light blue. Hmm. Interesting. So I want to go back to the entropy and you were saying that a rigid entropy, a rigid state would be where there's not much variance. And then a, a plastic state would be where there is a lot of variance in terms of the, all the information coming in. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. So and it reminds me of this book Psychedelic Information Theory um which essentially says that anytime you take a psychedelic what it's doing is it's opening up your doors of perception so that you start to see you start to have information come in that normally your brain would have uh, inhibited and now it's like everything becomes meaningful. Uh what do you think of that? <laughs> yeah well this is this is the most influential paper for my dissertation is a paper by robin carhart harris called the entropic brain hypothesis mm. and it is written so beautifully every word choice the sentences i've read that paper so slowly i've read it out loud and it's really given me a lot of entropy <laughs> it's it's uh 
it's a uh, it, it's it's a a full stack explanation of a mental state. Mm. It's it's a it's a description of a mental state that works at every single level of analysis, which is why it inspired my dissertation because this is what I sought when I was developing a, this physical paradigm for classifying mental states. Something that works n no matter how you think about it, any level of analysis, this works. And so the reason LSD works is because <clears throat> the the best connected, the sort of the center of the brain, the the super connector of, of the brain uh, is is in the default mode network. And uh, so, so when you need to make connections cross concepts, I imagine that you propagate signals that go through this default mode network. So it implements a lot of knowledge for efficient prediction. And it makes so that experience becomes more mundane because you have these modules for reducing entropy, for making predictions about subordinate signals. And LSD binds with the center of the center. It binds with an area called the parietal cingulate cortex. So uh, this is taking an LSD is, is like a terrorist attack in New York City, in like the JFK airport of New York City. Here you have the center of information processing in the world. And you just disrupted the modules and the knowledge that is stabilizing everything. And this is why you get to see the subconscious then, because the subconscious is held at bay with these predictions. And same thing with the visual field. And it can start flooding up as a result. That's really interesting. So what you're saying is that my default no mode network is establishing a state of constancy uh, and then like makes, makes things consistent, which allows me to operate in the world and understand what's going on and manipulate and, uh, and interact with all of these different things that are necessary. So it reminds me of the Jordan Peterson uh, maps of meaning where it's like everything that you are currently seeing right now is either a tool or an obstacle. Um, and your brain has basically dampened everything else. Uh, but if your brain were to open itself up to everything that was going on, it would be impossible to interact meaningfully. Um, and so LSD essentially taps into this posterior cingulate cortex um, and then causes mayhem there and uh, essentially uh, dissolves the default mode network. Yep, exactly. And, and it's, it's good that you brought up Jordan Peterson because uh, I see all these, all these thinkers starting with, uh, I think there's a guy called Helmholtz, who's a contemporary of Carl Jung and someone who really influenced Carl Jung. Uh, so, so Carl Jung, as I see it, is uh, the, and Carl Jung and Freud, are, are the first to, to notice these entropic principles of how the mind and brain works. And... Jordan Peterson and Carhart Harris are are very inspired by these thinkers. So so there's a lineage of, of of thinkers that that draw a lot of inspiration from models of of entropy, and they're they're all kind of bound together, and it leads to this kind of unity of knowledge when when you see it these things that which is what I try to develop too. Hmm. How helpful do you think these states are of, of where you dissolve this state of constancy and this default mode network establishing this sense of like, this is what's going on. I know what this is going on. And then realizing that you don't actually know what's going on, that your mind is, has created the fiction that you know what's going on so that you can move around in the environment. How important are these two like material reality or to our experience of material reality? Hmm. It's a really good question. And of course it depends. It's a different answer for each person in each phase of their life, wherever they are. 
the the question of basically does it make sense for this person to take a psychedelic now or are there too many risks associated with that or does that bring them in a direction that's not productive for them it's got to vary for each person i imagine the the category of person for whom it's most useful would be someone who has low entropy depression so they have a depression because they don't have any energy and they're stuck in a habit and a loop and they do the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. For these individuals, I imagine it's very useful for, uh, to take a psychedelic potentially also another category. And, and there's, there's a lot of research on this is, is using psychedelics to deal with, uh, the trauma of, of being about to die or dealing with some kind of illness moving the mind in a more spiritual direction when one is confronting death, I think it's very useful too. Mm. Because essentially what these experiences are of, of LSD and the uh, syntropy is the word I keep on the last few days, syntropy, the word syntropy, which I used to, I think is the same thing as negative entropy um, where entropy. Mm. Yeah, have you? Yeah. And so the, the the experience of a spiritual dimension to life seems to be connected to these LSD and other types of things. And it's interesting that you mentioned for the depression because uh, psychedelics being helpful for depression, because when I'm in my depressed state, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is there's this part of me that also doesn't want to exit it because the, that syntropy is scary to that default, to the thing that's called the default mode network. So this depressive state, this inhibited state seems to be kind of like a, a seems to be a something that my body mind has chosen in order to keep me safe. Um, what we the, wait, the, the depressed state is something your, your mind has chosen to, to keep you safe. Yeah, because it's this inhibited state that doesn't allow me connection with the universe because something about the universe was so scary. The trauma that happened yeah. when or something like that was so scary that for it inhibited it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get you. We're, we're in such similar places. And, and for you going out in the world and doing this role of your archetype, which entails being very open, mm. having many conversations is, is such a good natural remedy to you but taken in its success when you move in this direction that is the solution mm -hmm. then you have these you know problems with with finance and so on yeah man so so i guess the uh <laughs> the lsd then is the it's it's the function that that enables you when you have that stability to move great more to the chaos mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. so uh interesting yeah Cool. This has been very interesting. I should, we should wrap up now, but uh, definitely this is, I'm glad to find out more about your research and I think it's uh, very, very interesting and I want to find out more in the future. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk again. It's very nice talking to you. Totally. Similar spaces. Yep. Really enjoy the art of the question. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, really, really good if anybody's listening right now, if I decide to publish this, we've got a Facebook group called the Art of, Art of the Question where, where I connected with Sam and, and have been uh, sharing a lot of questions both back and forth. Um, and is there anything that you're working on that you feel like my listeners might be interested in, in understanding more about? Uh, well, they can check out my music, which is uh, color-coded, if they want to understand how I think about the colors, at Spotify slash Sam Hinks. And... Spotify slash Samulus. And when I go into this <laughs> or, more order life, maybe there will only be one of those accounts. But for the time being, I have two accounts for some reason. <laughs> That's Sam, Sam Hanks, S-A-M-H-I-N-C-K-S. Yes. Cool. Thank you so much, Sam. Yeah, thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be publishing episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in the morning. If you did enjoy this episode, please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, many of the major podcasting platforms, and go ahead and give us a review. And also subscribe. And as always, I'm on Twitter, at Stuart Alsop, III. Come join the conversation as we aim towards the truth. And we'll do 
funny thing about truth is that you can't really put it into words, because every time you put the truth into words, you create a linear narrative out of something that is non-linear. The truth is non-linear. It's not, it's, it's, if you really recognize the truth right now, your mind wouldn't know what to do. It'd be overwhelmed by beauty pain or it's it's something that is beyond our linguistic capability to represent but that doesn't mean that the language isn't helpful language can point us in the direct right direction but it's it's not it's not the truth itself and so come join this collective inquiry into the truth find me on twitter at Stuart allsop i i i subscribe to the podcast share the podcast with your friends most people don't have the ability to let go of this linguistic understanding of the way that the world works and just aim for the truth regardless of what the language tells us uh, and so i think what i'm doing with this the show is is necessary for us because as we enter this stage of uncertainty uh, and we are most definitely entering an age of uncertainty and as we do it's really really important stop paying attention to what the mind is telling us all the time. It doesn't mean to say that the mind doesn't have its place. The mind obviously has its place, but it's just one of the senses. It's just one of the tools that we can use. We can use the mind, we can use the feelings, we can use our actual senses, uh, we can check our intuition with other people, because sometimes the intuition tells us the wrong thing as well. Sometimes the intuition is wrong. So it, we, can't, we can't rely on any one tool to get us there so come join the show find us on itunes find us on twitter at Stuart allsop iii uh, and come join the this inquiry for truth <laughs>